You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. I got this wrong. I believe that tune, Contemplation, was uh, written by Beethoven. So we're very cultured here. Um, also cultured in another way. I want to just begin by uh, quoting this song to you. The birds they sang at the break of day, start again, I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ah, the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Um, For those of you who know your poets, you will know that that is Mr. Cohen who passed away this uh, week. And he has a, uh, an album out just now called You Want It Darkener. And it's, he has this very, uh, I find him a fascinating character because he gets so close to the gospel. But he understands, I think, the darkness that's in the world. And that's our passage today. That's what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 60. <coughs> and I want to... Uh, read uh, the first three verses. Before I do that, can I again encourage you, if you're coming to the spa weekend, it's not even so much that we need your money. We need to know that you're coming. So please uh, do let us know today because today is the last day for that. And also for Adele's funeral, there'll be a service at the crematorium at 11 o'clock on Thursday and here in the church at 12 noon. And for the church, uh, be grateful if... uh, a couple of people could volunteer to help with the door. We need people to help with the music. And there's a sign-up sheet as well for food, which will be sandwiches, savories, and tray bakes. So if you can help with any of that, and also if you can help serve it, please do let us know. Okay, let's turn to God's Word, Isaiah chapter 60, and read verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Great is the darkness that covers the earth. Uh, I was reading something this morning in... Augustine, and it's really quite hard to grasp, but he was making me think. He was talking about how the Lord created light, not darkness. And he's talking about how the darkness is the absence of light and so on. But it was just really interesting thinking about the darkness that occurs in our world and in people's lives. And we ourselves can personally feel darkness that's caused by death. Or discouragement, depression, illness, worry, just sometimes an overwhelming sense of dread, anxiety, uh, so many things that cause darkness. And what we've been looking at in Isaiah is Israel facing this tremendous darkness. I've recently been writing a series on the book of Revelation, and we came to Revelation chapter 4 this week, 
and the website I write it on, Christianity Today, had a, uh, an article just the day before I put mine in basically saying that with the election of Donald Trump, what a terrible thing it was and so on, and uh, we shouldn't blame God for it, and God wasn't in control. And this is a Christian uh, writer writing this in, and he thought his message was hopeful. It was just incredibly depressing. And I read Revelation 4, and Revelation 4 is just an amazing passage because it says that in this great darkness, God is on the throne. Now, I'm not referring to Mr. Trump as great darkness or anything else, but the situation for God's people in Revelation was this. Within 60 years of Jesus dying and being raised from the dead and the church expanding from Jerusalem to Spain and to North Africa and to Rome and to Athens. Within 60 years, all the apostles are dead. The only one left alive is John, and he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos, probably 90 plus years old. The Christians are being used as torches by the Roman emperor. And you're in the church, and you're in Ephesus where John was probably the minister. And you're saying, what is going on? What is happening? How did all this promise of the gospel, of the good news, seem to fade so much? It's a long time since Pentecost. And Revelation chapter 4 lifts us up to the throne of heaven, not to give us a detailed account of everything that's going to happen in the world, but it just tells us simply, God is on the throne, and God is holy, and God is good. And we need always to remember that. And as we grasp and understand that, we will get something of what this light is. I, uh, November, when it's sunny in Dundee, is actually spectacular, especially when you see the sun go down. You go up your Balgae or whatever, and you um, look across the River Tay, and it's just this glorious picture of the sun going down. But if you're up early enough in the morning and you look out across the Arbroath Cliffs, it's incredible, uh, the sun uh, coming up out of the darkness. <clears throat> but nothing, nothing compared with what Isaiah would have known and what you can still see today in terms of Jerusalem. Isaiah would have seen the sunrise over Jerusalem many times, appearing first over the Mount of Olives to the east, and then falling on the city below, driving away the darkness and basically flooding the whole scene with light and the walls and the gates and the towers and the homes. And it would just, it would just be spectacular. And that is the image that he uses here. He talks of this great darkness and he talks about the light arising. Now earlier in chapter 49, verses 14 onwards, He's spoken about God's people being like an abandoned mother and wife. Again, also in chapter 54, he talks just about the sense of loneliness, the desolation, the discouragement, and the whole of Isaiah is really got this mixed imagery of darkness and light. And I think in particular... What he has in mind here 
is what he spoke of in chapter 25 and verse 7. There is a thick darkness over the whole world. And it's not a physical darkness. It's not the grayness of a dreek November day like today. It is a moral and spiritual darkness which also carries over it the darkness of death. If you go on Remembrance Sunday, if you go to the battlefields in northern France, it is, it is incredibly moving. I remember taking a group of teenagers on a bus. Uh, we were traveling from where we were staying in France, and we were going to visit the American war graves at, uh, I think, Omaha Beach or Utah Beach. And being typical teenagers, you know, on the bus, they're all singing and talking and eating crisps and doing everything else. And we get to the cemetery. And it was so amazing going back. Hardly anyone spoke a word. Because you see all these graves. I think there's 9,000 graves. So you see 9,000 white crosses, all meticulously maintained. And it just hits you. And then you go in and you read that that's just for that one area. And that's just the Americans. There's the Polish and the British and, of course, the Germans. quarter of a million Germans were killed in the, in the Normandy landings and battles that followed. And it's just the scale of it is just so overwhelming. That's the massive scale. But it's the tiny scale that affects people as well. Tiny in one sense. But if it's your mother that's died, it's your wife that's died, it's your child that's died. When you're just standing there, it's just the most dreadful thing. And that's why Isaiah 25, 7 says this. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Ignorance, sin, sorrow, destruction, and judgment, they all lead to death. And it is a heavy, heavy burden to bear. Now, I want to say when people are remembering on Remembrance Sunday, it's a kind, for me, it's kind of hopeless. Because people say they died for our country and they died for freedom. And I remember as a child thinking, well, were they all heroes? And what about other people who died? And then also thinking, but they died, but we're going to die anyway. And I remember as a child just being totally overwhelmed uh, by that thought and by that idea. Because as Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men and we cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. Such is the burden he has laid upon us. So I think there is an enormous darkness that the kind of lights that our world offers doesn't deal with. They're like little flickering lights that get blown out very, very quickly. So what is the light that's spoken of here? 
Well, here, I think it's an absolutely overwhelming thing. It indicates a new dawn, and it indicates a subjective experience as well. Because look what he says. Your light has come. And that is just... The, the use of that word, your, is really important. It's the light of God, but it's your light. It's a transforming experience. In the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God, which came into the temple, and people would look, and sometimes the priest would be so aware. It's, it's described in the sense of Moses going up the mountain and being with God and coming down and his face shining so that people could not even look upon him. And the light that's coming is the banishing of the darkness over the whole world. And it's the banishing of the darkness within our own souls and within our own spirits. It's such an amazing light that the nations and the kings come, the rulers and the ruled. And I think the the remaining verses we look at this morning indicate how this light comes to Jerusalem and then it so reflects the glory of God that it becomes the light of the whole world. So let's read verses 4 and 5. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. So it's an image. It's an image of a city that's being destroyed and in darkness. And then the dawn comes and the sun comes up and it shines on the city. And it's so powerful and it's so beautiful that... And this is referring to the city because the the word that's used is feminine. It's referring to the city of uh, Jerusalem, of Zion. And it's telling us that as that light shines on the city of Zion, on Jerusalem, all God's people will come and be one within that city. You see it reflected in or taught the same image taught in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. When you become a Christian, you become part of that church. And here's the amazing thing. When someone dies as a Christian, they are in a far better place than those of us who are left here are. We are as surely guaranteed it as they have. But this thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's a a, the light of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ so transforms the darkest situation 
that those who are in that darkness themselves become transformative. They themselves become magnetic. Zion, this city of God, which is standing for the church of God, is so beautiful that people are drawn, and they are drawn to Jesus Christ through that. There's a kind of reflected glory. It's God shining through us. Calvin says, Isaiah alludes to the dawn, for as the morning star begins the day in one quarter only of heaven, and immediately the sun enlightens the whole world, so the daybreak was first in Judea, from which the light arose and was afterwards diffused throughout the entire world. For there is no corner of the earth which the Lord has not enlightened by this light. And so you've got this incredible picture of a city that's been destroyed, a city that's been ruined, a people that have been swamped both by internal sin and by external oppression. And Isaiah says, there's a light comes upon you that is so powerful that it reflects all over the world. And Jerusalem is here personified not as a, a, a widow, but as a mother who looks about with love and tenderness as her children are gathered to her. See, I think it's a mistake that some Christians make. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you if you think this. But those Christians who look for Israel to be reestablished as a nation and Jerusalem to be reestablished as a physical city and that even the temple to be rebuilt. I think you are misunderstanding what scripture says because the Israel and the Jerusalem that is spoken of here is as Hebrews says, the Jerusalem that is above. Now that's not to say that God does not still have a special place for the Jewish people. It's not to say that at all. The gospel comes to Israel first. But it is to say that we don't look for a political solution or a political uh, land in the Middle East. We're looking way beyond that. And here is this Israel that the Jewish people, if you like, were the beginnings of. And it's just spread throughout the whole world so that today there is not a country in the world where the light of the gospel does not shine in some form or other. And look at it, the joy. Verse 5, then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. It's a tremendous emotion. It's as though you've had this tremendous emotion of sorrow, discouragement, depression. And then God shines his light and everything changes. And your mouth is wide open, not with horror, but your mouth is wide open with joy. I love, I think the image is so powerful and the image is so strong and the image is so personal and the image is so direct. We can look to the Lord in the most dreadful of circumstances and be radiant with joy. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. That psalm was really interesting that we sang at the end, Psalm 27. I hadn't noticed this before. 
But right at the end of the section that we sang, it says this. You told my heart, seek my face. And I think the way that we think often is we kind of retranslate this a lot. And we put it, I've got to seek God, so I've got to know, I've got to understand, I've got to grasp things. You do. We have to know. We've got minds. God addresses us through his word, and we need to think about things. But if it stops at your mind, you're in trouble. God says, seek me with your heart. And we use the word heart, I guess, in a slightly confusing way, in a biblical sense, because we mean it just to refer to emotion. But in the Bible, it refers really to the center of our personality. The Bible doesn't split us up into physical, spiritual, emotional uh, mind beings, but puts us all together. But part of that, it is feeling. And we should look for what is called the felt Christ. You will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. It's strange. I know David uh, Ellis won't mind me saying this, but uh, Adele died this week. And in one sense, we look at that and it's rightly tremendous sorrow. We grieve because someone has gone. But it's really hard to explain this to a non-Christian How can you be happy about that? How can you have joy? Here's how you can have joy. Because she knew the Lord and she served the Lord for all her life. And to the end of her days, she never forgot her Lord. And her Lord absolutely never forgot her. And instead of being in a home confused and forgetting things and fading, she is now in a place where everything is clear and everything is good and everything is beautiful. So how can those who loved her the most not experience joy at the same time as the experiencing sorrow for their own personal loss and anger at the horror of death. And yet for the Christian, death is the gateway into a joy unspeakable. Sometimes in this life, we get a glimpse of that. But only when we die, do we get it fully, 100%. We'll go on, verse 6. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian, Apha. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. 
The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nest? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. And I love this picture because it's a picture of a magnet in which is so powerful that the islands come like clouds. It's a picture of an exiled people returning from all over the world. Tarshish here is Spain. The distant islands, I don't know, maybe Lewis and you know, Orkney or whatever, maybe even America, you know, the distant islands that are coming. They come as full participants in worship. The people are coming home to God. The golden incense, you see that in the New Testament when we come to Christmas, the wise men bringing their gifts to Jesus, the rams and the flocks. You don't take this literally because it's not talking about the reenactment or the resetting up of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, because Christ has come, the Lamb has been slain. But what it indicates is that the the whole atonement is done. It's saying that all the world's hopes can only be fulfilled in God. It's the fulfillment of, or the answer to the prayer of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all peoples. May God make his face shine on us. See, he has. There's a great um, spiritual, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Everybody loves it. And, you know, I don't know, one day we might sing it here. But it's, it's okay. It's, you know, it's fine and it's great. I mean, for me, I can't imagine it being sung by anything other than an African-American gospel choir. But, uh, I mean, everyone loves it. And I, but I think whilst it contains a truth, It's a very partial truth. I'm going to let my light shine. But it misses the real point. The point is your light shining is pathetic. What what is it? Your light. I'm going to let my light shine. What is your light? The darkness within you far overcomes that light. The light that shines is the glory of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ that is then reflected. And you can see that sometimes in people's faces. You see it in their actions. You hear it in their words. And you see it in their life. The whole world comes to Christ. The whole world comes, if you like, to Jerusalem. And that is where our evangelism and outreach, if we are Christians... It's so important to us and so important for that, that we know Christ better. Because you could go out tomorrow and you could try and witness to people. But if you don't love Christ, if your heart is not throbbing and swelling with joy at the thought of Jesus, if you don't want to be with him, then your witness is always going to be compromised because it is always going to be your light. And it's his light that we want to shine through. And it's funny because 
you would think, if we're talking about the light of Christ shining, and let's say on, on, on someone like Adele, people think, well, that means that we've become like zombies and we don't have our own personality. You don't grasp it. What the light of Christ does is enhances our humanity and enhances our personality. And yet always it's reflecting his glory. When God created human beings, he said that human beings were very good. All the rest was good. Human beings were very good because we're created in his image. When we are restored to that image through faith in Jesus, it's like just something astounding. Just something that causes the Lord himself to sing. In Matthew 24, 30, we're told, the Son of Man will come on the clouds with power and great glory. The Christian understands what Isaiah is saying because we know that it's talking about Christ coming and what happened in the actual physical city of Jerusalem through Christ being crucified there and rising from the dead there. We understand that the Jerusalem we now have is the Jerusalem that is above, that the temple is gone. We understand all that. We also know that there is darkness in this world, and we are looking for Jesus to come. It's interesting. I wonder how many of us know and pray the prayer, Maranatha, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. We should long for that because it means when he comes, the end of pain, the end of sorrow, the end of suffering, the end of that struggle with the darkness. But he is coming. He is coming. John L. Mackay says this, the church is not merely to announce the truth. She must also commend it by adorning the message through her own reaction and conduct, radiance and splendor. Through lives filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, others are attracted to God's provision and seek to share in it, giving him the glory. Let your light shine before mankind so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five, sixteen. The Christian life is a joyful life, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of sorrow. The Christian life is not an unreal life. We don't pretend that bad things are not there or that darkness is not there. We don't pretend to be perfect. We know that we struggle. But we know that it's not about our light. It's about his light. And so we pray, Lord, let your light shine upon us. We pray, Lord, let your light shine through us. And we pray that as John, in, in John chapter 1, tells us, you know, the light came into the world. The light that was to give light to every human being. The world may reject it. People may turn away from it. But that is what we have been given. I probably change on this every single week. But if I was to ask myself the question... What is the thing that is most missing from your life, spiritually, and therefore, fundamentally? I would say probably joy. Not just happiness, not just contentedness, but the joy that is described here, that when you look upon Christ, 
and you see his face, there is a radiance and a throbbing, as it's put here. It's a a being filled with real, profound, and deep joy. It's a strange thing to say, but in a way, I envy Adele because she has that joy. And I just pray that all of us would experience something of it here in this life as a foretaste of heaven. Not just for ourselves, but for the glory of God and for people to come and to know him. It would be a wonderful thing if our light was to shine as we go out from this place because the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ has shined in our hearts. And it may be that you're listening to this and you're thinking, what are you talking about? I don't understand this. I'm not a Christian yet, or I'm not sure where I'm at. And I'll just simply say to you that I pray beyond all things that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine into your heart so that when you hear him say, come to me, you just simply respond, Lord, I come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you that your people in Isaiah's time struggling with so much darkness in their world were told to get up and shine for their light had come. And may that be the case for each one of us. That as we worship you, as we read your word, as we share together, even as we're here in this place, in the presence of the living God, that we would be deeply conscious that our light has come. Lord, let those who struggle with a heavy heart look beyond themselves and the waves of their own troubles and see the glory of Christ. May those, O Lord, who have confused minds and in great darkness and cannot see, cannot grasp, cannot understand, those who are absorbed with self, Lord, let them look beyond their own understanding and see and let them not be absorbed with themselves. And Lord, we ask that what we experience and what we know and as, our, as we obey your command for our hearts to seek your face, that as your face shines upon us, that that would have a ripple effect, not just today, but tomorrow, at work, at home, wherever we are, so that the people would see and be amazed. Where have you been? And we can respond, we have been with the Lord. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk
for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.